Hey, strangers, welcome to a shiny new episode of The Strange Sessions. As always, I am Kurt, and I am joined today by the birthday girl herself, the lovely Krista. 43 years young. Happy ever... Oh, I thought you were 42. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. What a difference. (laughs) No, 43. Happy birthday. Thank you. Any fun birthday plans? um, Probably just going out for dinner tonight with my hubs. We, we always joke that we're the same age for two whole months, and mm-hmm. then he'll be a year older than me. Um, and then we took the rest of the week off, so we're just doing some day trips, nice. some fun stuff. So. Thrift? Any thrift stores? Yeah, lots of thrift stores. Tomorrow is like to all thrift stores. So. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. You're a member of that group on Facebook, right? The yes, weird I se- love that group. Oh, my what's God. What's it called? Weird Secondhand Store Finds? Yes, it is amazing. Some of the stuff they find is It crazy. is the weirdest stuff I've yeah. ever seen. So happy birthday. Thank I am you. glad to be able to spend part of your day with you. Me too. Uh, do we have... I got some great birthday wishes on Facebook too. Yeah, I was really surprised because I posted that super early in yeah. the morning and all of a sudden all these notifications. I'm like, wow, you people are up early. <laughs> I know. And Dash re- sent me a private birthday message and Bridget sent me an amazing uh, early edition of The Gunslinger by Stephen, Stephen King, King, which I'm super excited about. I've been wanting to reread the series for years and now I have a, an, a, a good reason to start it yep. over again. So thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Dash. Thank you, everybody. For and the as some of you saw in The Strangers, we got a huge book package oh my from uh, Stranger Jen Targ, who is absolutely amazing and yes. awesome. And we love her to death. I'm going to post a picture of the book I'm going to read first because yeah. she put an inscription in it and it's it's so sweet. I'm torn between starting with the one about Death love pass and the one about maura murray oh, uh, you sh- she wrote a really sh- she wrote a really sweet thing to you in the inscription really? she wrote for the more uh more murray trying episode. to make me feel better <laughs> well she said she really didn't know anything about it and once she heard our episode about it she got really interested in it so went you, down the rabbit hole yeah so you <laughs> opened her eyes to that and beef burrito recipes and beef burrito steak steak burritos steak burritos sorry yep. Oh, funny. I uh, want to give shout outs to our new strangers. And those are quite a few of them, actually. I said at some point we're going to have too many to read on every episode. So enjoy mm-hmm. this this small town feel that we still have going on here. They are Taylor Harlan. Hi, Taylor. I work with Taylor. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a coworker of mine. So hi, Taylor. LaDonna Dirksen Mead, Cassandra Ann, Emma Campbell, Logan B. Denzer, Wanda LKM, Molly Augusta, or Augusta, Stephanie J. Sovereign, and Lucy Danny Castro. Wow, we got a Thank lot. Thank you so much. I know. Yeah. Every couple of days, like, one would ask to join. That's crazy. So thank you guys so much for joining the strangers. Thank you for listening. Uh, do we have any housekeeping? I was going to mention, and I don't know if you'll be excited by this or not, or whether you heard this or not, but there's a Matrix 4 coming out. I just saw that this morning. Yeah. I don't know how I, know I you're feel about that. The Matrix? Well, Keanu Reeves is going to be in it. And what's her name? Carrie Ann Moss? Is yeah. that her name? The They're... first Matrix movie was really good. And after the other two, I thought were eh. so so. I always felt a little lost when I was watching them. Like I never really knew what was going on. I just kind of waited for the next uh, fight scene, basically. Yeah. What what kind of cool spin moves in the air are they going to yeah, do in slow exactly. motion now? Yeah, I saw that this um, morning. And I was but like, I know what? you're into be- the idea of the Matrix. Yeah. So I yep. didn't know if you would yep. be excited about that or not. Yeah. Uh I was totally going to say something and I totally blanked on it. Well, while you're thinking about that, I was going to mention a couple of documentaries I watched on Amazon. One Bridget recommended, which I don't know off the top of my head. I'm going to have to look it up, but they were both Bigfoot documentaries. Um, the one that Bridget, well, she she ran across it and thought of me. I don't know that she watched it, 
Um, but it was sort of more like if you're into the history of Bigfoot sightings and sort of the folklore mythology yeah. from different cultures about Bigfoot, it's a good um, documentary to watch. But then I found another documentary called Finding Jay. Okay, this is the one you texted me about. Yes, and I I initially was like, ooh, is this like a cool missing persons case? Because I'm really, you know, missing 411. We just did a whole episode on that. But no, actually, Jay is from Wisconsin. Sweet. And he has been searching for Bigfoot in the kettles. If you're from Wisconsin, you know what I'm talking about. If not, it's this huge, beautiful stretch of forest called the Kettle Moraine mm-hmm. that follows the path of a glacier. Um, and I have been in the kettles so many times. I've never been to the Kettle Moraine. Well, you've been on the Ice Age Trail, which runs yeah. through the kettles. Yeah. Um, and it is just, it's beautiful. I mean, it is some of the most beautiful forest in Wisconsin. Um, I can't say I've ever had any Bigfoot encounters, but I also, at that time, wasn't as into Bigfoot. So, I don't know, maybe I had rocks that thro- thrown at me and I didn't, just even, didn't know. even know. That's very <laughs> So, possible. I was really intrigued by that. I really liked the documentary because it was a lot of investigation footage, which I really enjoy because I feel like I'm there experiencing it with them. Um, I thought it was really well done. A healthy dose of skepticism. Like, well, this could have been this. You know, they didn't always jump to the Bigfoot conclusion. They always tried to come up with reasonable explanations for everything, which I thought was cool. And maybe it's something, you know, we could get him on the podcast at some point. So that would be cool. Um, So that one's called Finding Jay. Um, I'm going to look up what the other one was just so I can recommend it. Um, Amazon Bigfoot. If you have filler stuff you want to talk about. (laughs) Trying to think, do we have filler stuff? Oh, I also watched a new show last night called Mystery Decoded, I think. And it was about Mothman. Oh, interesting. My husband actually taped it for me. Yeah. Didn't and one of the strangers recommend that show or talk have. about that show? They might have. My husband just stumbled a- across it and he was like, this is something my wife wife would be into. So he set it to record all of them. That so I'm pretty husband. excited. Well, I know. And so the host of the show is she's a former Navy um, officer. And after she got out of the military, she became a private investigator and so she really comes at everything with From, yeah, a, like a very skeptical. skeptic, um, very skeptical, um, but does I think she does pretty good research. I'm going to have to check so, this out. One thing that I learned, you know that it's one of the most famous photographs um, that people would recognize of the Mothman from the Point Pleasant, the silver, what is the name of the bridge? The bridge. I can't remember the name it's of the silver bridge. silver something yeah, bridge. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. There's a picture of the bridge with what looks like something clinging to yeah. it. Yep. That's not even the silver whatever oh. bridge that collapsed. <laughs> that happens it's a, a lot. It's a totally different bridge. That happens a lot. And apparently that was just a piece of metal. Like oh it's boy. confirmed yeah. that that was not even the same bridge. So all this time I've looked at that photo and thought, wow, what a compelling photo to come yeah. to find out it's not even the bridge that yeah. collapsed. I kind of have that in my story today, as a matter of fact. Something with oh, a photo sweet. that people... Well, I cannot find the name of this uh, documentary, but I will at some point. I'll post it in the Strangers group. Because there are several Bigfoot documentaries on Amazon. Um, I'm still going to get rid of my cable and then get Netflix and Hulu or Amazon or one of those. Well, Netflix is super cheap. I know. I like for 15 bucks a month. Netflix, you get I, so I much. have occasionally because whenever there's something I want to watch, I use with a, I get a gift card and I pay with a gift oh, card because I hate yeah. having my credit card tied up with stuff. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to. And I love to... Amazon. I already have Amazon Prime and you get a ton of stuff with Amazon Prime. Yeah. 
free stuff to watch. I so. need to look into that. I'm watching The Americans. You'd be very proud oh, of me because I know that's job. like one of your favorite shows. So what do you think of it so far? I'm only on like episode two, and I do remember I had started watching it at one time when it was on TV. Yeah. And I just lost track of it. So yeah, I'm liking it so far. It was a really good show. Now that it's it wasn't on Amazon. I'll watch the yeah, whole thing. So awesome. Keep me updated on what I will. you think. I will. Uh, we got a nice email from a listener. By nice, do you mean yeah, scathing? <laughs> a scathing email from a, a troll listener. Oh my God. What it, my favorite quote. Are you going to read my favorite quote from the I'll email? I'll read the whole thing. Oh, you're going to read the whole thing. Okay. Except one passage because one passage. Is foul language. Not foul language, but he basically called me the F word. And I don't mean the four letter F word. I mean the <laughs> oh, longer right. F word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, once somebody throws that word into something, I basically like, whatever, you're an idiot. <sighs> So, <laughs> I literally laughed out loud. I, I woke up I in the morning this. and read that. I sent it to a couple of people, like Carly, that listens to the podcast, and uh, Bridget, and they were so annoyed about the email. But who, well, the guy might do it to get it read on an episode, you know? I very highly doubt he's going to listen to any more of our so show. So, here is, here's one of our fan emails. Oh what makes you think you can do a podcast? You suck rancid arse. That's my favorite line. You suck rancid arse. <laughs> That's what we wanted to get a sticker. I'm guessing he said, must be from somewhere else. Like possibly. Because we don't say arse here. We talked about getting a sticker made that said the strange sessions. Sucks sucking rancid, rancid arse. arse since 2017. <laughs> he said, this morning I experienced the displeasure of hearing you for the first time. Two giggling, goofy girls and a guy who sounds like a 30-something spoiled rich fraternity brother is not a good way to begin a day. Well, he thinks you're in your 30s, so that's, that's something. A, I, so thanks, dude. <laughs> the male voice is grotesque. The three of you jabbered interminably about ineffably boring crap before reaching the subject matter. Then you botched horrendously the alien abduction topic. Okay, and here I actually agree with the guy on this next point. This okay. is the only thing I agree with. He says, primarily reading about a subject is not the correct way to cover it, which I agree because I am I feel like I'm getting into reading too much and not so much you and I talking. So you that's, do a lot of research, though. Yeah, but I feel like we need more back and forth. Right. And See, not, we can take constructive criticism yeah, and yeah, work totally. with it. Continuous improvement. And then he says, how in the name of hell do you have any listeners and <laughs> followers? You pollute the podcast airwaves <laughs> enormously. <laughs> Well, so I was I was mostly insulted by the frat boy thing. I am yeah. even when I was in college, I am not a frat. You are the opposite. I am like the opposite of, of a frat boy. But yeah, I didn't didn't put it in there. But he threw in the f word, you know, and it's like seriously, dude. I'm guys. not gonna apologize for giggling either. No, like, that was the episode short. that you and Rhonda. So yeah, I am a. Uh, well, good riddance, buddy. Yeah, sorry. We don't want you anyway. Yep, exactly. But like Krista said, for for every one email we get like this, we get ten really sweet emails yeah. from you guys. Like we we, I think Kurt's gonna read some of one of the emails today. Someone shared a story with us. Yes, and it's a sentiment that we hear a lot: is that our show let someone know that they weren't alone in what they were yeah. going through. Yeah. And so they feel like they can share their so story. So even if we have one person like that, it, yeah, it, it's, it's totally worth it. it. It's totally worth it. We're an it. acquired taste. That, like we said cilantro. That, we said that. We are like cilantro. <laughs> mm, funny. Okay. Or like spam. Or like spam. Yeah, spam's kind of just ham. I don't know. I love spam. Fried spam. Uh, do we have any other housekeeping? Oh, we, there was a... Have you done any more Randonaut stuff? I did, but I'm going to save that for a next episode okay. because I feel like this one might be lengthier might be than we okay. expect. Sounds good. But you can tell I'm nice about... teaser. ...the sighting here at the school. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. So Joe, as you guys who know about Paranormal Palaver or about old school media, Joe is sort of... He's a partner of mine in this podcasting business we have here. He... um. 
his father-in-law owns the building that we record in and someone last week reported that a little girl had been spotted in the school. So people were playing or doing, I think, batting practice in the gym, which they do. And they saw a little girl walking through the kitchen and they reported it to, I don't know who they reported it to, if it was to Jeff, the owner or police. I don't know. I have so many questions that I need answered. But they searched the school and they never found her. So that's kind of odd. My first inclination is, of course, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. She's listening at Hi, work. Hi, she, she, I think I told her about it right away and she's, she got the goosebumps assuming it was a ghost. My first inclination is the door that we come in has a code. You need to know the code to come in. But when there are a lot of people practicing here, they leave it kind of, I don't want to say propped open, but they don't shut it tight because not everybody knows the code. It's so easy for people to walk in and out of here. Yeah, it is. So I need to know how old was she? Yeah. Like, are we talking like a six-year-old or a 12-year-old? There's a huge difference there. Are we, what direction was she walking? Towards the inside of the school or towards the, you know, I have a lot of questions. Joe said he's going to do some digging and get back to me. We were going to actually do a walkthrough when we got here, but there's somebody working out here and she was a little little surprised by our presence here. So we had to explain, you know, that we've been coming here for two years, et cetera. Um, So I don't know. Uh, Stay tuned because I think it's probably more likely it was just a real person. I do too. I think somebody was here maybe with their daughter and they went out the side door where they didn't even go out the door. Right. You know, so I don't know. I don't immediately jump to the ghost conclusion, but when we hopefully have a chance to uh, be here alone, we'll, we'll do a little investigating maybe, but Joe will hopefully get back to me with more details too. Yes. So. We are going to do our taste test. We originally had another taste test item that we were going to do. I was so stoked about uh, it, too. Thank you, Carly, from Australia for it. But according to the directions, we are missing one crucial ingredient, which I didn't think was crucial, but it she was emphasized, emphasized that it repeatedly. is crucial. So we will do that in our next episode. Yes. So, so Krista has something for a backup. Luckily, I have a backup. Are you ready? I'm ready. So my husband and I were at Menards and we saw these. At Menards? Yeah, Menards. A if you don't store. know what yeah, it's sort of like uh you can get gardening stuff there. We get our bird Is food it mulch? there. <laughs> yeah. Um we we buy like household like we bought a vanity for our bathroom there, that sort of place. Um but it's fire roasted sweet, sweet corn, corn potato, potato chips. chips. And I have to say, there was a bag on the shelf that was slightly ripped, and it smelled like fresh sweet corn. Really? Like corn on the cob? Yes. So I'm going to take a picture of this. I'm excited. Um, Hopefully, this won't be disgusting. I don't think it will. Oh, God, it can't be. No. But we've said that before. I was intrigued because it was a flavor I had never heard of. I've never heard of it either. I don't think I've ever seen this brand name before either, but... Hers? Hers, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen that quite a bit. Is it? Okay. Ready? I'm going to... Doesn't expire till December. Good. We're okay. It does. It smells like sweet corn. I'm excited. So I'm going to grab three chips. Give it a whiff. Oh, wow. It does smell Isn't like that sweet crazy? corn. Like, I, I'm curious. I have to look at the ingredients to figure out how they did that. Is there actual sweet corn in it? They feel super salty, which is good. I'm putting together a bag of potato chips for Bridget. I'll probably send that out tomorrow because Bridget loves her potato chips just as much as we do. I love And she doesn't chips. have old Dutch potato chips there. And I love old oh, Dutch yeah, potato chips. Yeah, that's a great chips. brand. Blah, blah, blah. Like, where does the flavor come from? Yeah, I don't know. There's nothing on here that says corn. Oh, it does say corn. One or more of the following. <laughs> okay. <So. laughs> and corn is at least one of those. Okay, are you ready? I am ready. Let's do this. Oh. Oh my god. 
It really tastes like corn. It tastes to me like creamed corn. Oh my god, so this my, is so weird. My first reaction is ugh, because I'm not a fan of cream mm. corn. I think it just tastes like corn. I think it totally tastes like cream corn. Mm. That is so weird. Like I taste the sweetness of it. Wow, I think they're really good. I'm not a fan. You're not a fan. My husband has been dying to try them, <laughs> and I'm like, you can't open this bag. So I will bring they this home. They taste a lot like corn, but to me, they taste just like mm. cream corn. Mm. Cream corn is one of those foods that I just... I'm having one more. Go right ahead. They're delicious. They're not bad. It's just, I mean, if you like cream corn, you will love these chips. I'm not sure I've ever had cream corn, to be honest Uh, with you. That was one of those things that, you know, we'd always get the cans, like Mm. the green giant cream corn. And I think when my dad said I turned 12, I didn't have to eat it anymore. And I don't think I've eaten it since. If somebody 12 makes, is the magic if number, so, huh? If somebody makes homemade cream corn, it's really good. But like the canned cream That's corn... That's what I was going to say. You have to have homemade for something like that. No. Like one I of would my, think. One of my fears is like a zombie apocalypse and all that I have to eat is cream corn. <laughs> cream corn. Mine and, would be okra because I oh, think okra is disgusting. Cream corn and the, the cranberry mm. sauce that it comes up, plops out in the form so of the you can. You slurp it out no, of the can. gross. That is gross. <laughs> um, mm, mm, my husband's going to really enjoy it. So what those. do you give that out of 10? I'm giving it like a nine because I can't believe how much it tastes like corn. I'm going to give it an eight because it does taste a lot like corn. But to me, it tastes a lot like creamed corn. It had a really good saltiness. Not too salty. It was really, I thought it was really salty, which is good. Yeah. Because I think that adds to corn the... Corn needs salt. Yeah, that adds so. to the corniness <laughs> of it. So I... <laughs> it was really well done. It yeah. really was. It's just okay. it tastes too much like creamed corn for me. All right. Exciting. <laughs> Only I would call potato chips exciting. <laughs> Not a shame. Nothing wrong with that. We had crab ones last time, and yeah. now we had corn ones. Yeah. Next time will not be potato chips. No. It'll be something we're very excited to I'm try. I'm super excited to try it. I'm bummed that we can't this time, but I feel like we have to do it right. We do. Anything else? I don't think so. I can talk about my random nodding thing because we do have a little bit of time. Sure. But I went out a couple more times, and basically nothing. Really? No. But what was interesting was, I think like the last... It, it led me to like somebody's sidewalk or somebody's yard or a field somewhere yeah. where there's nothing. But the last two times I went, you know, you're you're supposed to have an intention of. Did you? I did, and okay. the, the intention I had was to show me more synchronicities because random outing is supposed to increase the synchronicities you get in your life. Yeah. So I wanted. I said, show me more synchronicities. And just a couple days ago, there is. You know that I'm into this armchair treasure hunting stuff where you solve puzzles and you can win. You know, there's... uh, You wrote an article about that. I still have it bookmarked on my computer. Yes, I did write an article (laughs) about that. And a woman with the name Beth Hovanek loves these too. So she's an artist. So she does paintings and incorporates treasure hunts into the actual painting. So she just released one last week based on The Wizard of Oz. Oh, cool. And... Everybody that you paid like $4 on PayPal and you got the PDF file of it. Everybody that paid for it got their name entered to win the artwork or a portion of the artwork because it was really big. So you get portions. Yeah. And in order to pick a winner, she had her cat come in and lay down (laughs) by a winner. So she's waiting and the cat wasn't really cooperating. So she said she turned around and when she turned back around, the cat was laying on my name. Really? So I ended up winning it and the one that I got has the scarecrow from Wizard of Oz and right next to his head in big letters, it says synchronicity. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, so that's really cool. And the other day, I actually got 
like a little like weirded out because I was listening to the Sofa King podcast and they were talking about something that happened on their drive to work where they were talking about somebody not letting them in on the on the, sure. the road. Yeah. And as they were saying, whatever they were saying, I was going through the same exact thing with somebody on the road and I actually got a little like dizzy because it like freaked me out so bad that they oh, were basically weird. like narrating what was going oh on my with my driving at that yeah, moment. That's so, creepy. And that's what's been happening with synchronicities lately is there's a lot of times that I'm writing something when I'm doing our uh, research for the podcast, I'm typing something and somebody on TV says... Exactly what you're yeah, typing. Yeah, like there's... Oh, uh, so crazy. I don't, th- I don't know if I brought this up on the podcast because this happened a couple weeks ago, but there's a uh, dishwasher detergent or dishwasher cleaner or something called Quantum. And the commercial before it was playing and it boomed out really loud Quantum as I was typing the word Quantum. Which is the, not Which a is word. not a really common word. You don't word. use it in everyday so conversation. So it seems like like synchronicities have yeah. been or am I just noticing it because that's in my mind, right. you know? But getting, getting the Wizard attention. of Oz artwork, winning the artwork that said the word synchronicity that's in crazy. big letters was kind of crazy. Yes, very so, specific. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. I didn't win the contest. Like I am not really good at the armchair treasure hunts, but I love everything about them. Mm. Like, you know, the the possibility of winning, the codes, yeah. the artwork. I love all that stuff, but I'm just not really good with codes. So that's interesting because, well, one of the reasons that I like the Silent Hill games yeah. is because there are a lot of puzzles to solve. Yeah. I love that sort of thing. But these are like hard puzzles where yeah, there's I'm not like good all these at ciphers either. and stuff. And I'm just not really good. You know, give me like a little code i can solve it but not if i gotta run it give me a hint not if i gotta run it through a decoding wheel and do all this stuff i'm like no but (laughs) i'm just fascinated by armchair treasure hunts i'm just not really good at them Mm. so it was just cool that i won that artwork it is cool yep well speaking of writing jen has suggested that you and i write a book so hmm. you know because her and i were uh messaging last night and she didn't know that i basically have a degree in literature Mm -hmm. so she's like wow you guys really could write a book well and And, i focused on english yeah writing yeah when i I was going to college we're both pretty good writers so we could technically stuff published in the sheboygan press nice (laughs) nice so we could maybe yeah, we could. think about it. We just got to come up with an idea. Yeah, we do. We'll think about that. Yeah. Today's topic? Today's topic is uh, my favorite mini mystery, where Yay. Krista and I each pick a topic. She sent me her picture, and I have no idea. I'm assuming it's a missing person because it's a picture of a little kid. That's my guess, is that it's a missing You'll person. You'll find out. You already know what mine is because we yes. talked about it recently. And I'm excited because it's always been a favorite topic of mine. Yeah, mine too. Like, I didn't really know a lot about it going in. And this is a bit of a spoiler, but this is one of those things where I'm like, this house is haunted. Turns out, not yeah, so much. Right. <laughs> is, the movies, yeah. there's so many movies about yeah. it. And yep. you kind but of. But the, the backstory have to about take the all house that with is a grain fascinating. Of salt. Yeah. So we will start with Krista's story okay. because we've had people say that you're just moral support and you don't <laughs> talk enough. So here is Krista's story. Oh, she's pulling out like a file. Like, Official wow, and that whatnot. is like professional. So this is the story of Walter Collins. Don't know. In 2008, Clint Eastwood directed a movie starring Angelina Jolie called Changeling. Oh, okay. Yes, I do know. <laughs> the movie is about a woman whose nine-year-old son goes missing, and five months later, the police return a boy fitting the son's description to the mother. 
However, she insists that the boy who was returned to her is not her son. Yep. So I've never seen the movie. I do remember. I remember this story, but I don't know anything really about it. Right. Well, I didn't realize it was based on actual events. Yeah. So I I kind of was Googling different mysteries that I could cover today. And this one kind of intrigued me because you know how I feel about missing people. Yes, I do. Um, So that nine-year-old boy was Walter Collins. He went missing in Los Angeles on March 10, 1928. Christine, his mother, had given him a little bit of money to go to a movie at a nearby theater, but he didn't come home. He was last seen by a neighbor around 5 p.m. on the corner of Pasadena Ave and North Ave 23 in Lincoln Heights. Another witness would report that they saw Walter being held against his will in a vehicle begging to be let go by two people who were described as foreign looking. Some reports would indicate that they looked Italian, whatever that means. Exactly. (laughs) Were they saying uh, lots of meat to bowl or something (laughs) like that? Do they have dark hair? I don't know. I think that's a really odd thing to say. Um, Multiple tips and theories were at the top of the list. The police initially assumed he ran away. Walter's father, who was serving time in Folsom State Prison for robbery, thought former prison inmates were behind his son's disappearance in order to get revenge against him. Apparently, he worked in the prison cafeteria, and one of his jobs was kind of ratting out other prisoners who yeah, were they kind frown of, on that. Yeah, exactly. So he thought that maybe they were behind the disappearance. Christine was convinced that he wouldn't run away. And based on her knowledge of her son and the eyewitness statements from her neighbor, she was convinced that he was taken. A gas station worker named Richard Struthers in Glendale, which is about 20 minutes north of L.A., claimed to have seen the body of a deceased boy wrapped in newspaper in the back of a car being driven by a foreign couple. So here we have that same couple again. Um, They had stopped apparently at the gas station for directions. Another man at the gas station who heard or saw the boy as well decided to follow the couple when they left and according to the man whose name was cv staley the couple pulled up in front of a police station for a few moments and then sped away out of town losing him never to be seen again so we're going to circle back to this so kind of keep that story in the back of your mind so two months after walter's disappearance two other boys 10 year old nelson winslow and his brother 12-year-old Lewis Winslow went missing on their way home on May 16, 1926. So this, Walter went missing in March. This is in May. The boys lived in Pomona, California, which is about 40 minutes from L.A., where Walter went missing. In this case, the boys' parents would receive strange letters from Nelson and Lewis, one letter claiming that they were heading to Mexico, and a second letter said that they planned to stay missing as long as possible in order to become famous. A 10 and 12 year old. That does not. Yeah. So now going back to February of the same year, the headless body of a Latino boy had been found in La Puente, which is about 30 minutes from L.A. So there's a little bit of a pattern here of missing, you know, incidents involving young boys in and around L.A. at kind of the same time. Yeah. However, the police didn't make any connections between any of these disappearances, at least at first. At the time, the LAPD was already under investigation for several corruption scandals. So the fact that they weren't really coming up with any credible leads or real evidence was basically an an embarrassment to the, the police department. So now five months later, a boy was picked up by police in Illinois stating that his name was Arthur Kent and that his father had abandoned him. 
Shortly after he was placed with a temporary family, he told police that his name was actually Walter Collins, that he was from Los Angeles, and that he had lied to them initially just to protect his father. Photos of the boy were sent to the LAPD, and upon being shown the photos, Christine immediately said, this is not my son. However, Captain J.J. Jones of the LAPD talked her into taking the boy home and trying him out for a while. <laughs> oh, wow. This is in the like 1920s. It, like, it's a, like it's a recliner. <laughs> right. A car that you're going to test drive. Wow. So three weeks later, Christine brought the boy back to the police station along with Walter's dental records and signed statements from people who knew Walter stating that the boy claiming to be her son was not him. Captain Jones, who was frustrated that Christine was contradicting him and basically uh, kind of calling them out for not actually solving the case, had her committed to a psychiatric ward in L.A. County General Hospital on what is called a Code 12. It's basically something that police used at the time to silence troublemakers who kind of weren't going. Yes. So they would throw them into a psych ward. Wow. Captain Jones claimed that she was crazy and just trying to get the state to fund the care of her child. Luckily for Christine, after 10 days of being treated pretty inhumanely in the psychiatric hospital, again, this is the 1920s, Mm -hmm. psychiatric care was just a little bit more archaic back then. The boy who had claimed to be Walter finally confessed to being Arthur Hutchins Jr. He told police that after seeing a picture of Walter and hearing about his disappearance, he saw it as an opportunity to get to L.A. and get into the movies. Oh, my God. And meet some of his favorite movie stars. Um, eventually, his stepmother would drive out to L.A. to pick him up and take him back to Illinois. And Christine ended up being released shortly after he went home. Meanwhile, in September of the same year, Winifred Clark, who lived in Canada, contacted U.S. authorities out of concern for her son, Sanford Clark. She stated that he had been kidnapped by her nephew, Gordon. Gordon Northcott was his full name and was being held against his will in California. Jesse Clark, so Winifred's daughter and Sanford's sister, there's a lot of names to remember here. She was concerned enough that she decided to travel to Northcott's ranch to check on him. And what she discovered and heard from Sanford sent her straight back to her mother in a panic, who again called the authorities. And they finally went out there and talked to Sanford. He told investigators that his uncle Gordon had been physically and sexually abusing him. He claimed that he had been forced to watch the abuse and murder of not only Walter Collins, but Nelson and Louis Winslow and the Latino boy who was found headless um, earlier that year. He said that Northcott even forced him to participate sometimes. Hmm. Uh, he would eventually tell police that the bodies of Walter Nelson and Lewis were buried near the chicken coop, which was on Northcott's ranch. Pieces of bone were found in the graves, but also scattered across the ranch. Pathologists would eventually indicate that the bones, the bones belonged to male children, which is about as good as you can get back then. Yeah. I mean, aside from like dental records, not like they had DNA testing. Axes found on the farm proved to have human hair and blood on them, and additional letters to parents like those that Lewis and Nelson Winslow were forced to write, were also found along with a book that had been checked out to one of the Winslow boys. While these items were direct links to the boys, nothing really linking directly to Walter could be found. Two days after police searched the ranch, Northcott's father, Cyrus, told police that Gordon had admitted to the murders to him. But by the time this information was given to police, Gordon had fled town with his mother. 
the plot thickens. Exactly. So Gordon would eventually be arrested, however, on September 20th in British Columbia. So they actually did make it to uh, Canada. And his mother was taken into custody in Alberta. Gordon made a verbal confession to the murders of Walter, the Winslow brothers, and Alvin Gothia, which is presumably the Latino boy, found in February. However, later, when doing a written statement, he would only admit to Alvin's murder. A few months later, again, the plot thickens. In December of 1928, Gordon's mother actually confessed to delivering the final fatal blow to Walter Collins. Wow. And she admitted to burying him near the chicken coop on Gordon's ranch. So Sarah Louise Northcock uh, was eventually sentenced to life in prison for Walter's murder. But it still gets a little hazy here. So Gordon Northcott, after firing several defense attorneys, does a classic idiot move and decides to represent, represent himself. himself. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. it usually never goes well. No, it doesn't. Usually people who do that are a little nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so his trial began in January of 1929, which is pretty dang good. Nowadays, it seems like you can wait a couple years before okay. you even go easily, on trial. Easily a couple years. He told the jury that he abused young boys because he loved them. Mm-hmm. That's not at all twisted. Nope. And in an even stranger twist, Gordon called his own mother as a witness for the defense. <laughs> she told the jury, this gets really weird and confusing. She told the jury that she was actually Gordon's grandmother. She claimed that her husband had raped her daughter, Winifred, and that Gordon was actually Winifred's son. Gordon claimed that he had an incestuous relationship with his mother, Sarah. I know. Now we're getting really confused. Wow. And that his father had molested him. And if all of this is true, it would explain why he ended up being a serial killer and a pedophile. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, clearly he that's, had a that's, pretty messed up upbringing. Yeah, to say the least. The jury didn't find Sarah very credible, though, because she continually said throughout the trial, I, I would do anything for Gordon. I yeah. would do anything for Gordon. So lying would probably be one of It'd those be things. Just saying she would do. Yeah. Maybe confessing to murdering someone. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> Gordon was convicted for the first degree murders of the Winslow brothers because items directly linked to them were found on his ranch and an anonymous victim. I don't know what that means. That's what the article said. And I, I don't know if they meant. Alvin, because that's the one person that he admitted to killing. Um, He was sentenced to death by hanging, which took place on October 2nd, 1930. Again, pretty swift justice here back in the early 1900s. These days, you could die in prison. You can sit on death row. Yeah, Yeah, die on death row. Not by lethal injection. In yet another strange twist, Christine went to visit Gordon in prison, hoping that he would tell her what really happened to her son. Even though Gordon and his mother had both previously admitted to killing him, he did retract that later. And during the visit, he told Christine that he did not kill Walter. So she decided she believed him because she wanted to hold out hope that her son still was alive somewhere out there. And his remains have never been found. But if he, why would he say he didn't? I mean, at that point, he doesn't have... He has nothing to lose. No, he has nothing to lose. He's already sentenced to death. So if he really did do it, why wouldn't he just say he did it? Unless he wanted her to have hope, but he doesn't seem like the yeah. real sensitive <laughs> kind of guy that would care about that. He's more empathetic than he's capable of. Yeah. Um, so a final side note, Christine was awarded $10,800 by the courts to be paid by Captain J.J. Jones for sending her to a psychiatric ward That's so and for sketchy. denying her claims, right? And refusing to believe that the imposter sent to her by him was her son. He never paid her and he was only, um, forced to serve a four month suspension for what he did. So that's kind of messed up. It is very messed up. 
Um, finally, now circling back to the gas station, uh, attendant who saw the deceased boy wrap a newspaper, allegedly driven by a foreign-looking couple. This doesn't seem to be related how, how in any way. How do they know way. the boy was deceased wrapped in the newspaper? I don't know. That's a good question. But my... my I but think why, the real, would you, now why would you be alive and wrapped in newspaper, right, on the other hand? Right. I think that's the real mystery here is who was that boy? Exactly. Who were the, who was this foreign couple and that boy? Because they're not related in any way to the story other than people thought it was a possible lead. So what happened to that boy? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe we know what happened to Walter. Maybe not. But this other boy that, like, where's his story? I don't know. That kind of reminds me a little bit of the Terra Calico thing with the Polaroid with the two kids oh, in right. the back of the... Yeah, that is, yeah. that is creepy. Yeah, that is a creepy. That might be a, a future mini mystery. Yeah, but so wow, that's the story I did not realize it, it yes. was that. It's twisted. That is very twisted. I read one, another article, uh, and we'll list all the the websites that I visited in the show notes or somewhere. Yeah, another podcast got called out for not listing their sources. Listing their sources. A pretty popular podcast called Crime Junkie. Yeah, and it's kind of a big deal. But I I do the same. I mean. I'll mention what article, what website I'm taking or stuff what from. User. But then later in my research, when I'm talking, I'll bring something up that I don't really write call there, out. call yeah. out. So we need to get better with calling out our sources. We'll be including it somewhere. Where yeah, it can we're be still actually... figuring out how we're going to go about yeah. documenting where we're pulling stuff from. We don't want to be accused of plagiarism. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, nobody would the, accuse us the, that of the Maura Murray episode. No, it was basically plagiarism. <laughs> Nobody's taking credit for that. No, that mess. But no, that's an interesting story. Yeah. I never knew any of that. No, well, and one, what I was going to say is one article mentioned that he actually could have potentially killed up to 20 people. Wow. But these are just the only ones that he sort of, you yeah. know, admitted yeah. to or got convicted for. So it's kind of crazy. And he was only 21. That is nuts. Yeah. I think he was 21. Either that or the nephew was 21. Wow. Yeah. That was a good story. Thanks. It was a short but sweet one. I think only... mine might be a little lengthier, but I'm not exactly sure. It's okay. We're only 40 minutes in. Okay. All right. My story is the Amityville haunting. Yay. I love this story. I wanted to do... I, because, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was because I wanted to research Amityville because I know a little about it, but I don't know a ton about it. Only what you've seen in the movies. Only what I've seen in the movies and what I hear and that stuff. So this is my story. Just 30 miles outside of New York City lies the small town of Amityville. As most people know, this town is mostly famous for one of its houses. In the early morning hours of November 13th, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. picked up a 35 caliber rifle and walked from room to room, killing the members of his family. After all was said and done, Ronald shot and killed his parents, Louise and Ronald DeFeo Sr., his 18-year-old sister Dawn, 13-year-old sister Allison, 12-year-old brother Mark, and his 9-year-old brother John Matthew. The parents had both been shot twice, while the children had all been killed with single shots, and the victims were all found lying face down in bed. According to county police, Physical evidence at the crime scene suggests that his mother, Louise, and his sister, Allison, were possibly both awake at the time of their deaths. Mm. And that's frightening. I yeah, hate, it is. I hate thinking of that. You know, like what... You're already feeling so vulnerable. Yeah. I think being in bed is a vulnerable thing. Yeah. And to know that someone you love is murdering your family. Yeah. And you're next. But that brings a lot of stuff into the, like, why didn't they try getting out of the house? 
They right, must have he heard the gunshots. Gun. Uh, I yeah, believe they, he used uh, a shotgun. A rifle. So they must well, have yeah, heard it. Nothing quiet. No. Ronald then went to work at 6.30 the following morning, but left at noon and went to a nearby bar named Henry's. While at the bar, Ronald called home several times and then loudly complained to the other bargoers that it was weird that nobody was answering the phone. Trying to get himself a... Well played, buddy. Alibi. Yeah. Later that day, around 6.30 p.m., DeFeo once again entered Henry's bar and pleaded, quote, You've got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. DeFeo and a small group of people from the bar went to the house and found the bodies of his family. The police were immediately called, and DeFeo was taken to the local police station for his own protection after telling police officers at the scene of the crime that he believed the killings had been done by a mafia hitman named Louis Fellini while Ronald was at work. Ronald told police he had been up late watching TV and, unable to sleep, left for work early. He said he believed his family was still alive when he left for work and told them about his whereabouts for the rest of the day. As they interviewed Ronald at the station, they began to notice inconsistencies in his version of events. There were no signs of any struggle present on the bodies or evidence that they were drugged. No neighbors reported hearing any gunshots around the time that DeFeo told the police that the family must have been killed. And they were in their pajamas, so they basically believed that it was at night and not during the day, in the morning, like, like, like Ronald yeah. suggested. Once it was determined that the victims appeared to have been killed around 3.15 a.m., well before the time DeFeo left for work, which was 6.30 a.m., DeFeo frantically changed his story several times. The next day, after further interrogation, he confessed to carrying out the killings himself. DeFeo told detectives, quote, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. He admitted that after the shootings, he had taken a bath, redressed, and went to work as usual. He told the police where the storm drain was, where they would find the evidence he discarded, such as blood-stained clothes and the rifle. The police believed that he'd committed the crimes because he wanted the insurance money, a sum of about $200,000, which in today's money would be $960,000. But still... That's a lot your, of money. To kill your entire family. Well, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. If you're, you know, a psychopath. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty motivating. <laughs> to this day, there's still no concrete answer as to why he murdered his family. Ronald did have a history of strange, violent behavior, though. He once attempted to shoot his father with a 12-gauge shotgun during a fight between his parents, but the gun malfunctioned when he pulled the trigger. Also, Ronald came up with a plan for embezzling money from the car dealership he worked at. One day, the dealership trusted DeFeo with the responsibility of depositing more than $20,000 at the bank. Ronald planned a mock robbery with a friend, agreeing to split the money evenly with his accomplice. The plan went off without a hitch until the police came to the dealership to question DeFeo. Instead of calmly answering the officer's questions, Ronald's anger exploded into rage. When police became suspicious that he was lying, they asked him to come to the station to check out mugshots of possible suspects. He angrily refused to comply. Ronald Sr. began to suspect that his son had committed the robbery, but when he questioned his son about his lack of cooperation with police, Ronald threatened to kill his father. So, not, I not feel real, like he should have seen this coming. Yeah, not real good Just planning. Saying. Yeah, not real good planning on, his, on Ronald. Butch, his nickname is Butch, so it shows up as Butch a lot, too. The kid? Uh, the Ronald son? DeFeo Jr. Yeah, okay. that's Butch. DeFeo stood trial on October 14th, 1975. His attorney, William Weber, put together an insanity plea stating that his defendant heard voices telling him to kill his family before they killed him and that they blamed Ronald DeFeo Sr. for his son's condition, arguing that he had been a bullying and abusive father. Hmm. Uh, Remember William Weber. 
the okay. lawyer because we're going to be hearing more about him. The psychiatrist for the defense, Dr. Daniel Schwartz, supported the claim, saying that DeFeo was neurotic and suffered from disassociative disorder. But the psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Harold Zolan, claimed that DeFeo suffered from antisocial personality disorder strengthened by his use of drugs, which meant that Ronald was aware of his actions but was motivated by a self-centered attitude. On November 21, 1975, DeFeo was found guilty on six counts of second-degree murder and was given six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. Ronald DeFeo is currently held at the Sullivan Correctional Facility in the town of Fallsburg, New York, and all of his appeals and requests to the parole board to date have been denied. So he is still in jail. That's what I thought. I, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure he's still alive, yes, actually. Because I think in recent years... Some kind of article came out about how he still talks about it yeah. with reporters yeah. and stuff. So, yep. DeFeo has changed his story several times over the years. In a later version of the changed story, he states that his sister Dawn killed their father, and then their distraught mother killed Dawn and the other siblings. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that sounds logical. In this scenario, DeFeo only killed his mother in self defense. Oh, boy. He stated that he took the blame for the murders because he was afraid to say anything negative about his mother to her father and his father's uncle out of fear that they would kill him since they were both well-connected members of the Genovese crime family. Hmm. I then, think I ever I, heard that piece before. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Then in 1990, he claimed that his 18-year-old sister Dawn and an unknown accomplice murdered the rest of the family before he himself killed Dawn while the two of them were fighting over the rifle after the unknown accomplice fled the house. So he keeps I feel he, changing the story, number one. But I feel like when you already have a history of trying to kill a family member with a gun. It's not surprising when you do kill a family right. member with a gun. Nobody's going to believe you after that. There are theories that place a second shooter at the house. A lot of people are convinced that he wouldn't have been able to kill all the family members as quickly as he did without some of them getting out of bed or attempting to fight back or flee. Uh, yeah, I, I it get is that. puzzling. I get that, but... You're woken up from a dead sleep by the sound of rifle shots in the house. I don't know if you're going to immediately... Especially like a nine-year-old. They might hide under the covers. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. It's I would just... not stay in bed personally. But no, but you also you wouldn't know, know what's what going gonna on. Do. You yeah. don't know what's going on. You never know what you're going to do in a situation until you're in that situation. I think it's safe to say he did it. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they got the guy. <laughs> yeah, they did. After the murders, the house sat vacant for over a year. Now we get to George and Kathy Lutz. George and Kathy married in July 1975, and each of them had a house of their own, but they wanted to start fresh with a new house that they shared together. Kathy had three children from a previous marriage, Daniel, nine, Christopher, seven, and Missy, five. They also owned a crossbreed Malamute. Is that how it's pronounced? Malamute? Malamute. 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 They also owned a crossbreed Malamute slash Labrador dog named Harry. During their first inspection of the house, the real estate agent told them about the DeFeo murders and asked if this would affect their decision or not. After discussing the matter, they decided that it was not a problem since the house was unusually cheap at only $80,000. Much of the DeFeo family's furniture was still in the house and that was included as part of the deal. Dang. So I don't... Part of me, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. If I if I was looking at a house where I knew somebody died, like passed away in their sleep, that's like whatever. But if I knew a family was massacred, Murdered, like an entire family in the house, and I'm still having their furniture, yeah, I'd at least have to burn all that furniture. But it's, I mean, that's a bargain. 
at, yeah, at the eighty thousand. Yeah, for the, uh, considering how huge that yep, house is, exactly. Yeah. So I'd have to do some soul searching to, you know, would I or won't I? The Lutz family moved into the house on December nineteenth, nineteen seventy five. 28 days later, the Lutz family fled the house, and this is where the story of the Amityville hauntings begin. According to the published events in the 1977 book, The Amityville Horror, by J. Anson, a priest named Father Mancuso was brought in to perform a blessing on the house on the afternoon of December 18, 1975, while George and Kathy were unpacking their belongings. Father Mancuso later stated that when he flicked the first holy water and began to pray, he heard a growling voice telling him, quote, get out. Father Mancuso didn't mention this incident to either George or Kathy when he left that day, but on December 24th, 1975, Father Mancuso called George Lutz and advised him to stay out of the second floor room where he had heard the mysterious voice, the former bedroom of Mark and John Matthew DeFeo that Kathy planned to use as a sewing room, but the call was immediately cut off by static. Following his visit to the house, Father Mancuso is said to have developed a high fever and blisters on his hands similar to stigmata. Hmm. So that's creepy. Yes. At first, George and Kathy experienced nothing unusual in the house. As the days went on, however, paranormal events started to occur at an astonishing rate. Uh, And I got these from Wikipedia. These are some of the experiences of the Lutz family at the house that are described in the book. George would wake up around 3.15 every morning and would go out to check the boathouse. He would later learn that this was the estimated time of the DeFeo family killings. The house was plagued by swarms of flies despite the winter weather. Kathy had vivid nightmares about the murders and discovered the order in which they occurred in the rooms where they took place, and the Lutz children also began sleeping on their stomachs in the same way that the dead bodies of the DeFeo family had been found. Hmm. That's creepy. Kathy would feel a sensation as if being embraced in a loving manner by an unseen force. Hmm. George discovered a small hidden room, around four feet by five feet, behind shelving in the basement. The walls were painted red, and the room did not appear in the blueprints of the house. The room came to be known as the Red Room. This room had a profound effect on their dog, Harry, who refused to go near it and cowered as if sensing something ominous. I just had a moment of synchronicity. As you were talking about Harry the dog, I I just saw a dog dog. out in the field. Not like someone walking the dog like normal, just out in the middle of that field. Keep watching for synchronicity. Uh, The red room thing has always been the one thing about this that has freaked me out the most. Yeah, hidden rooms that aren't on hidden room painted red are creepy. Yeah. Like but we will get there? more into the red room later. But red, that, to, red Rob. like I remember, <laughs> this the movie came out in like 1979. I was in grade school. So that was and the I remember, original with yeah, Robert. We, uh, we'll get to that. Can't think of his name. You're thinking his of, son is a famous actor yeah, too. You're thinking of. Hang on. You're thinking it's of Robert, right? Robert. No, it's not Robert. James Brolin James and Margot Brolin. Kidder. Yep. Yeah, yeah, his son. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that came out Josh in 1979, and. One of my friends, I, w- I want to say I was like in f- fifth or sixth grade. One of my friends in, in grade school named Jason Alexander went and saw the movie. Like, <laughs> not how George did, Costanza. Not George Costanza's. <laughs> but it's like, how yeah. did he see the movie? I mean, did his parents bring him? It, it was the 70s. God, I hope not. It was a, yeah. People were a lot looser were, in the yeah, 70s and everything. But he saw the movie, so I kept bugging him about what happened. And it, this red room freaked me out. That To me, that was the big creepy thing about this. So, I know I've seen the original uh, but I definitely love the Ryan Reynolds version. Yeah, have you I've seen s- that one? Is that the one with uh, an <sighs> actress I 
have always had the hots for. I yeah, can't think she's of, really I can't cute. Think of her I can't name. think of her name either. She was in Fifty Days of Night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was uh, it was okay. I liked it. I have a I have a side note. Are we going to talk about the movies more at all? Yeah, we're going like to get into the movie. I have an interesting movie. like personal connection. Yeah, we're going to get into. Oh, okay. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought of it, which is really funny. I didn't even make that connection. Okay, right. back to the list of stuff that happened. There okay. were cold spots and odors of perfume and excrement in areas of the house where no wind drafts or piping would explain the source. I do remember the fly piece that yeah. fly, they would always find dead flies yeah. too. Yeah, and flies would always be swarming in the rooms. Yeah. Which just happened, it happened not that long ago to a good friend of mine that stuff has been happening in her house. She showed me a picture of her leg. She woke up one day and her leg was like super bruised, like something had been grabbing it. And she she said one day there was nothing going on and she went in the kitchen and she said the kitchen was just a swarm of flies that came out of nowhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I might have to do an investigation of her place. Yeah. While tending to the fire water. one day, George and Kathy saw the image of a demon with half its head blown off. Ugh. It was burned into the soot in the back of the fireplace. That's interesting. The Lutz's five-year-old daughter, Missy, developed an imaginary friend named Jody, a demonic pig-like creature with glowing red eyes. I always remember the Lots eyes. Lots of demon assumptions yeah. here, yeah. though. I remember the pig-like creature named Jody. In the early morning hours of Christmas Day in 1975... George looked up at the house after checking on the boathouse and saw Jody standing behind Missy at her bedroom window, which is creepy. Yes. When he ran up to her room, he found her fast asleep with her small rocking chair slowly rocking back and forth. Wow, that's yep. creepy. George would wake to find oh. the sound George would wake up to the sound of the front door slamming. He would race downstairs to find the dog sleeping soundly at the front door. Nobody else heard the sound, although it was loud enough to wake him up. So, you know, my first thought is I would have moved out by now. But that's so easy to say <laughs> yeah. if you haven't sunk a bunch of money exactly. into a house. Like, what are you going like, to do? They have a mortgage you know? now. Yeah. It's not like you're renting the place. Yep. Uh, yeah, you're kind of stuck. George would hear what was described as, quote, a marching band tuning up or what sounded like a clock radio playing not quite on frequency. Oh, when he went weird. downstairs, the noise would cease. George realized that he bore a strong resemblance to Ronald DeFeo Jr., and he began drinking at the bar where DeFeo was once a regular customer. Self-fulfilling prophecy here. Yep. When closing Missy's window, which Missy said Jody climbed out of, Kathy looked out the window and saw red eyes glowing back at her from outside the window. Maybe it was Mothman. Could have been Mothman. While in bed, Kathy received red welts on her chest caused by an unseen force and was levitated two feet in the air. Locks, doors, and windows in the house were damaged by an unseen force. Cloven hoof footprints attribute. <laughs> Chris is already shaking nope. her head. Nope. And he, I that lost reminds it me of cloven- paranormal activity. Yeah. Cloven hoof footprints oh. attributed to an enormous pig appeared in the snow outside of the house on January 1st, 1976. Or Satan. Or Satan. Because he allegedly has and this cloven feet. Next one is the big one that a lot of people associate with Amityville. Green gelatin-like slime oozed from walls in the hall and also from the keyhole of the playroom door in the attic. A 12-inch crucifix hung in the living room by Kathy revolved until it was upside down and gave off a sour smell. George tripped over a four-foot-high China lion ornament in the living room and found bite marks on one of his ankles. Later, this lion would appear in the living room after George had moved it upstairs into the sewing room. George one day saw Kathy transform into an old woman of 90 years old. Quote, The hair wild, a shocking white, the face a mass of wrinkles and ugly lines, and saliva dripping from her, tooth- her toothless mouth. Yeah. 
On one occasion, Kathy heard what sounded like a window being opened and closed through the sewing room door, even though no one was in there. So there's... I feel like... Uh, a quarter of the this activity would have would had have been me enough. like, I'd <laughs> had be you sleeping at, in the boathouse. I don't end. know. Yeah. After deciding that something might be wrong with their house, uh, you, you think? think? <laughs> After deciding that something might be wrong with their house that they could not rationally explain, George and Kathy Lutz carried out a blessing of their own on January 8th, 1976. George held a silver crucifix while they both recited the Lord's Prayer. While doing this in the living room, George heard a chorus of demonic voices repeatedly saying, quote, Will you stop? By mid-January 1976, after another attempt at a house blessing by George and Kathy, they experienced what would turn out to be their final night in the house. The Lutzes declined to give a full account of the events that took place on this night, describing them as, quote, too frightening. Hmm. And that was what finally got them to flee the house Straw in that the middle broke the of the night. Back. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. After getting well, a- if you believe the movie, doesn't George basically try to go through the same motions of killing yeah, everyone? Yeah, like he gets like violent. Yeah. yeah. After getting in touch with Father Mancuso, the Lutzes decided to take a few belongings and flee the house, staying at Kathy's mother's house in nearby Deer Park, New York. On January 14th, 1976, George and Kathy Lutz, with their three children and their dog Harry in tow, left Ocean Avenue, leaving all of their possessions behind. The next day, a mover arrived to remove the possessions. That's got to be a great job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this family left because of all the creepy crap happening. Why don't you go you grab, go in there go and grab their all stuff? their stuff? <laughs> yeah. Leave the, cr- the original furniture, yeah. though, please. The next day, a mover arrived to remove the possessions to send to the Lutzes. He reported no paranormal phenomenon while inside the house. The book ends with the discovery that the phenomenon followed them to Kathy's mother's house with the final scene of the book describing greenish-black slime flowing up a staircase towards them. Is that like ectoplasm or something? Apparently like ectoplasm. The book was written after an editor at the publishing house Prentice Hall introduced George and Kathy Lutz to writer Jay Anson. The Lutzes did not work directly with Anson, but submitted around 45 hours of tape-recorded recollections to him, which were used as the basis of the book. His book, The Amityville Horror, subtitled, quote, A True Story, was published in September 1977. Estimates of the sales of the book are around 10 million copies to date. Wow. That's a lot of copies yeah. of that book. Yeah. That's the kind of book you and I need to write. Yes. Agreed. 10 million copies. A local television crew did a segment at the house, bringing in several ghost hunters, including Ed and Lorraine Warren, and other alleged psychics who claimed that the house was indeed haunted by evil spirits and needed to be exorcised. A film version of the book came out in 1979, starring James Brolin and Margot Kidder as George and Kathy Lutz. The movie was one of the most successful films produced by an independent studio at the time, grossing over $86 million at the U.S. box office, and it was the second highest grossing film of 1979 in the United States. I didn't know it was that big of a movie. That kind of surprised me. Surprising for a horror movie. Although 70s was kind of like a sweet, sweet era for a horror movie. Well, the 70s were great for a ton of movies. Yeah. But yeah, that was the second highest grossing film of 1979. Jeez. All right. It was the highest grossing independent film of all time until 1990 when it was finally beaten by the movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) Appropriate, I guess. To date, there have been over 20 sequels, spinoffs, remakes, or TV series based on the original. For years, rumors said that the movie was supposed to be filmed in the actual house in Amityville, New York. 
but the actors and production teams were said to be too frightened to film inside the house. The truth is that the town of Amityville denied American International Pictures permission to film any scenes in Amityville in an attempt to distance themselves from any publicity. Mm-hmm. So they basically lied, saying we were too scared to film there when they weren't. I'm looking to see where the Ryan Reynolds version was filmed. I don't think it was filmed there. No, I think it's Illinois. Chicago. It was. Wow. It's, it's uh, And in Silver Lake, Wisconsin, and Salem, Wisconsin, which is where my connections are. So. Oh, as soon as we finish this paragraph, I want to hear okay. about your connections because yeah. this is the, the end of the stuff about it's the movie. It's not that exciting, yeah. but it is a connection. So they said that they didn't film there because they were too scared, but turns out that they weren't. The town would not let them film there because they were trying to get away from publicity, the bad publicity that the movie was bringing the town. Hmm. I mean, on one hand, you have people coming to see the house, but on the other hand, it's already a murder house. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's just a lot of bad publicity for the town. The studio promoting the film thought that with the crazy supernatural happenings at the house, that for sure something spooky would happen on set that they'd be able to use for publicity. When nothing weird happened, they just made up stories about spooky things happening on the set in hopes that it would boost ticket sales. Neither James Brolin nor Margot Kidder believed the Lutz's story about the paranormal happenings in the house, even though Brolin himself became quite close with the family. So what is your connection with this Um, this movie? Melissa George is her name, oh, by yeah, the way. Melissa George. She actually has a series on Amazon. Really? Where she's like an assassin or some kind of spy or something. She's really pretty. She is really pretty. Um, so the I know people who worked on the house that was used in the movie. They, they worked on the house for the movie that was shot um, with Ryan Reynolds and Melissa George. Did they build the house specifically for that? They worked on that? masonry. To make it to make it look like the Amityville house. Yeah, I don't know if like masonry obviously is working with stone. Yeah, I don't know if it was like the fireplace or something like that. But uh, somebody that I used to know really well, I haven't spoken to him in years, but his name is Wes. He was a mason. He lived in the Salem kind of ish yeah. area, and I actually have friends who live there still, um, different friends. But he worked on that house that was used in that movie. With Did Ryan he say Reynolds. anything about it? Or no, that's all I, re- I. I mean, that's all I really remember about it. Is that's you know that's cool. I think so. Yeah, he worked on to, an actual to, movie set. You I know? need to rewatch that one because I saw that. I, like I actually it. saw that in the theaters. Oh, did you? Is that the one where at the end, like, there's a girl ghost and she gets like grabbed? Or there's like something like a, a jump scare right at the very end where like something happens and I'm I don't have to... remember ghosts in the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm gonna. Have Ryan to... Reynolds was, there was the some scariest kind of weird... part of that movie. <laughs> there was some kind of weird jump scare right at the very end. I'm gonna have to watch that. I do remember it was one of Ryan Reynolds' first serious movies because he has more of a com- Comedic, comedy background. Yeah, yeah, and I remember him taking off his shirt in that movie and being like, "Whoa, who is this guy?" <laughs> Jeez, because <laughs> he was like seriously ripped for that movie. You don't see me doing that it's stuff. It's 2005. Just saying. You don't see me doing that. Not ripping, ripping my your shirt. shirt no, off. not ripped. I'll rip next podcast episode. I'll rip okay. my shirt off. Sweet. Good thing we got the thing blocking the window so nobody can come in here and see that. <laughs> we do have other people in the. You should just, just prance walk around through the, the hallway. hallway. <laughs> yeah, go work out. Go do some kickboxing on the bag over there. Uh, just walk in, hit it a couple times, <laughs> and, then and then just then walk leave. back. <laughs> <laughs> but we digress. <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen Lutz. No, get serious now. Yeah. No. Kathleen Lutz died of emphysema on August 17th, 2004, and George Lutz died on May 8th, 2006 of heart disease. Jeez. The couple had divorced in the late 1980s, but remained on good terms and were friends until their deaths. Okay. 
So, is the story of the Amityville haunting true? I feel like <laughs> Spoiler, the Lutzes... Possibly not so much. I feel like the Lutzes t- saw an opportunity yep. to make money and cash in on a tragic story. Yep. Jim and... And I think um, Ronald Jr. is just nuts. Sorry. I think that's... A, yeah. He's definitely... She slipped off his cracker at some point. Like, I, I believe the insanity. Didn't he claim to be possessed, though, actually? At court, yeah. Okay. That he heard voices, basically. Yes. Jim and Barbara Cromarty, who bought the five-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bathroom house for $55,000 after the Lutzes left it. I, would, I think I would buy that. I don't care who's killed. I don't care what was done. I would flip it and sell yeah. it. <laughs> it didn't need much flipping, though. I mean, that house is yeah. know, in really good condition. They told the press that they've never seen anything unusual in the house. Rather, they were kept awake at nights by paranormal enthusiasts knocking on their door at all hours of the night, the oh, constant geez. phone calls about the house, and people parking out in front of their house or walking on the property to get selfies of themselves in front of the house. Oh, man. I mean, I, I can imagine oh, that. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah. The distinctive windows made the house easily recognizable. Mm-hmm. And you know the windows that I'm talking yep. about. They have kind of like a barn look to them it's and like the shape a, of the roof Everybody said line. eyes, that it looks like eyes. Yep. And the shape of the roof line is sort of yep. like a barn yep. shape. The Cromartys would eventually sue the Lutzes, Jay Anson, and book publisher Prentice Hall for $1.1 million in assorted damages for fraud, trying to get them to admit that the subtitle of Anson's book, A True Story, was a lie. The suit settled for an undisclosed six-figure sum in 1982. Hmm. So basically, they were found to be fraudulent. Pretty much. Yeah. Fraudulent? Fraudulent. Fraudulent. The author of the book, Jay Anson, also seems to dodge the answer a lot. According to an October 17th article in Topic Magazine called The True Twisted Story of the Amityville Horror, quote, The subtitle of the book still stands, but sometimes it seemed even Jay Anson thought true story might have been an exaggeration. Hmm. Whenever he was asked by the press if he actually believed the story he had written, he usually gave some wry reply. To People Magazine in 1978, he said, quote, I'm a professional writer. I don't believe and I don't disbelieve. I leave that to the reader. To the New York Times the same year, he said, quote, I believe these people believe that they went through all those things that they said they saw and heard, which is a really, you know. I believe that they a real, believe it. <laughs> a real iffy answer. Yeah. Researcher Rick Moran compiled a list of more than 100 factual errors and discrepancies between Anson's book and the truth, including errors such as the fact that the Native American tribe that is speculated to be behind the hauntings in the book were actually nowhere near Amityville, The thunderstorm that happened the night that the Lutzes fled the house apparently never happened, according to weather reports from that night. The demonic hoof print that the Lutzes found in the snow couldn't have happened because weather records show that there had been no snow to leave prints in. And the priest that came to bless the house that allegedly heard the demonic voice and suffered health issues after visiting the house was tracked down and interviewed, saying that nothing at all happened when he went to the house. Oh, come on. But the biggest reveal in the story came in July of 1979. On the same day that the film version of the book was released, William Weber, the lawyer of both Ronald DeFeo and the Lutzes, went to the press and told them, and this is a famous quote, that when you look up Amityville, you see this quote all the time. William Weber went to the press and said that he and the Lutzes, quote, created this horror story over many bottles of wine. Oh, yes, I have heard that. Yep. Weber said that the Lutzes offhandedly mentioned to him that they had a few minor strange experiences in the house, And he said that the three of them over the bottles of wine began to add on to and fabricate aspects of those experiences. 
The Lutzes, however, did not know that at that point, Weber had been approached by a publishing company and told that they would happily offer him a huge advance for a book about the DeFeo case. When he finally brought up the book advance to the Lutzes and tried to get them on board with it, the Lutzes immediately backed out when they found out that Weber wanted to use the money from the book to get a new trial for Ronald DeFeo and that Ronald DeFeo would end up receiving a percentage of royalties from the book, essentially paying him handsomely for slaughtering his family. After hearing that, the Lutzes completely stopped speaking at all to Weber. Hmm. George and Kathy themselves then cut a deal with Prentice Hall and the author Jay Hansen, cutting William Weber out of any part of their book. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a shady business happening here. Yep. Weber was, of course, pretty pissed. He had already hired a freelance writer for his book about the case, and Weber and the writer would eventually publish an article about the Lutz's experiences in Good Housekeeping magazine, but the Lutzes then sued the writer of the article for invasion of privacy. Good housekeeping, huh? <laughs> I know. Interesting. That's, that's choice not, of, not uh... a choice of magazines. A lot of people believe that the account in the book The Amityville Horror is the overly embellished version that Weber and the Lutzes came up with over the wine. The Lutzes were facing financial issues at the time, which leads skeptics to believe that they had motive to create a fabricated story to sell to the public. But shortly after the Lutzes story was released, the couple took a lie detector test, which they both passed. Hmm. So that's interesting. That is interesting. It's hard to beat a yeah, lie detector test. Yeah. According to the Topic Magazine article about the Amityville Horror, quote, Kathy died in 2004, George in 2006. But over the years, George in particular would give a few more interviews, slowly opening up the frame. Still, he was this strange, enigmatic figure on the truth of it all. He insisted that the family had experienced a horror. But he also came to admit that certain elements of the story, the green slime in particular, were embellished and not accurate. And George's admissions of these small inaccuracies allowed everyone to doubt the whole thing to assume that it was a simple case of a hoax all along. That being said, the Lutz children particularly Danny and Christopher, insist that there actually was a haunting. They say that they do remember some of the events from the book, including voices, shadowy figures, and them being physically thrown by unseen forces. Christopher says that on more than one occasion, he saw a shadowy presence in the shape of a man that moved towards him and then dissipated. Danny and Christopher, however, say that they believe that the hauntings were partly caused by their father, George Lutz, and his experimentation with the occult. But they also believe that there was a much worse presence that lingered in the house, possibly caused by the DeFeo murders or that was indeed responsible for the murders. So it sounds like there was at least something happening. I mean, there was some kind of base of truth to the story that they just embellished for the sake of making money. The Amityville house was officially sold again in February 2017 to an undisclosed owner for $605,000, which was $200,000 less than the original asking price. Wow. Yeah, compared to the $55,000, yeah, yeah, exactly. That, I think that must have been the article I was yeah. thinking of, that the house was back on the market. It had been previously owned by four other families since the murders, one of which had the address changed from 112 Ocean Avenue to 108 Ocean Avenue to make the house more difficult for curious onlookers to find, on top of the signature quarter moon windows being remodeled long ago. Hmm. Lastly, one of the more famous ghost photographs, often called Ghost Boy or the Amityville Ghost Photo, was taken in the house. Have you ever seen the photo? I'm not sure. Look if up, I go on your phone it. and look up Amityville Ghost Photo. Okay. I've seen this photo a ton of times, just researching stuff about ghosts. You might have to enlarge it to see. Yeah. Oh. Oh. 
that's weird. Yep. I was looking in the wrong doorway. It's over the like the the railing. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I just got a text or a, That's clearly a boy. I just got a voicemail saying that police officers are cur- are currently looking for me and I'm supposed to call this number to arrange <laughs> a financial yeah, a financial. Course. So, could be my last podcast, oh, folks. Okay, okay. Cops are on to me. Definitely sounds legit. Yeah. But yeah, that picture yeah, I've seen creepy. a ton of times where you see what looks like the boy with the glowing to be about eyes, nine years old. With the glowing eyes looking like through the, the banister of the stairs yeah. or by the banister of the stairs. That's creepy. The photo was captured during an investigation by paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren several weeks after the Lutzes left the house. I'll put the photo up in the, yeah. the Facebook group so you can see it. The photo shows what looks like a small boy with glowing eyes in the doorway of the house, even though there were no children in the house at the time. Believers believe that the photo shows the spirit of John Matthew DeFeo, who was nine years old on the night of his death. However, skeptics think that the photo actually shows Paul Bartz, an investigator who was there that night. Bartz was wearing a similar shirt to the one the boy is wearing in the picture, and it's believed that the photo was taken as Bartz was leaning over to get something out of a duffel bag, making the figure look shorter. Yeah, but he has the face of a child. Yeah. People who believe that it really is a ghost say that the shirt looks different from the one Bart's is photographed in during the investigation, but I've seen the picture of Bart's on the investigation and it does kind of look like the figure, he does look like the figure in but the picture. But does his face look, does he have a young He's got face? a younger looking face. Okay. And I Can could, you post both of those? I'll post both of okay. those in the group. So I yeah, believers say that the shirt looks different from the one Bart's is photographed in during the investigation. Bart's has never gone on record to either confirm or deny that it is him in the photo. <sighs> And that kind of makes me think he knows it's yeah, him in the photo, and doesn't want to, and doesn't want to take away from the, doesn't want to take away from the mystique mm, of the photo. Interesting. So that is the Amityville hauntings. What do you think? I like you said earlier. I le- I think that stuff legitimately happened. I could see why there would be spirits lingering. Yeah, there. It was definitely I, I a traumatic think, event. I do think stuff happened, but I, I think, think the Lutz that is exaggerated. Everything was exaggerated and embellished. But now people just believe that it's a flat-out hoax, that nothing happened. Where mm-hmm. I do think some stuff did happen, but not to the extent of the demonic pig. Right, the green And slime. I actually went on YouTube last night, and the show That's Incredible in the 80s had a segment at the house. And one of the... I don't, I don't remember if it was the current family there or if it was the DeFeo family, but one of their friends' daughters was showing them around the house and showed them the red room in the basement. And in my head, it was always a room and it's not, it's there's like a storage little storage room underneath the stairs. Okay. And on one, in one corner is a little cutout section that's painted red that oh. you can like, they said that you were, they would store their toys and so it's stuff. It's not an actual room. It's not an actual room. It's like a cubby. It's like a cubby hole. And okay. it looks like it was started painted, getting painted red and then they didn't, finish it and they believe that's not as creepy as i originally thought no (laughs) and they said it was hidden and the the doorway to the storage unit or the storage room under the basement had a bookshelf put in front of it maybe because they didn't want to use the storage room Hmm. so they made it sound a lot more nefarious nefarious and mysterious (laughs) and then when i saw it in the video i'm like oh that's that's it lame Hmm. yeah that's not Hmm. as spooky so another thing from my childhood ruined the Red Room from Amityville, not as scary as I thought it was. But I do think that something happened there. Right. Anytime you have a family slaughtered like that, right. you're going to have some sort of residual I think energy. So. But it, it sucks that it got written off as a hoax. Right. Because, well, that's their own fault. Yeah, it is their own fault. You know, they were always like really 
sketchy about answering but they did pass a lie detector test, that's, which that's surprised strange. me. Yeah. You have to kind of have some yeah. serious mental capacity to do yeah. that. So at the end of the day, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But that is the story of the Amityville haunting. All right. So yeah, that's the Amityville haunting. We have a story that was sent in by our stranger, Natalie. And it's a really, it kind of reminds me of a lot of stuff from the Amityville Horror Story, actually. It's a good pairing then. Yeah, it's a really good pairing for this. So thank you so much, Natalie, for sending us this story. Yeah, she really like... I was, I asked her, do you want me to use your name? Do you not want me to use your name? But she said, she we, said yes. She, she said, yeah, but I'm just going to use her first name. Okay. But she's, she's active in Are the Are you going to read the whole email? Yes. Okay, good. Because yep. there was some really sweet stuff yeah. at the beginning. So she sent in, hello, Kurt and Krista. I've been listening to your show for a few months now, and I absolutely love it. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Glad I'm not an annoying frat boy to you. <laughs> I'm completely hooked. I've listened to every session you guys have recorded. You are both fun, friendly, and great at what you do. Thank you so much. After hearing how you'd like listener stories whenever possible instead of just for certain episodes, I decided it was time I shared my experiences with you. Writing this down has taken me a while. I have been trying to write this every day that I can. I've lived with this experience for a very long time. My close friends and immediate family know about what has happened to me, but I try not to think about what has happened too much as it affects my day-to-day life if I relive the memories. But after listening to the strangers that had similar experiences, it made me realize I'm not alone and I decided to share my experience. I love that. So thank you so much. Yeah. This is a long story too. And it's like, wow. Yeah. This is not a short story, she says. And <laughs> That's <agreed>. an understatement. <laughs> this is not a short story. It's been happening all my life, starting at the age of two up to now when I'm 28 years old. Something has always been happening in my life. My experiences range from feelings of being watched, shadow people, voices, and physical contact. My life has been plagued by unseen presences and UFOs. Up to the age of 13, we lived in a three-story ex-miners house in Shuttlewood, Chesterfield, UK. A lot of the experiences happened in this house, but whenever we moved, something seemed to follow, and as I got older, I started having boyfriends sleep at our house. They were always in some ways attacked. I'm now married and have a three-year-old girl named Freya, which is cute. I really like that name. Freya has started to pick up on little things in her room, just like I used to when I was young. I never talk about the paranormal around her and never mention anything that she could feel afraid of. I know that children have a tendency to be scared of their house or room at night, at some point in their childhood, but after everything myself and my family have been through, I can't help but wonder if the presence is starting to intimidate my daughter as well. I'll start right at the beginning. When I was two years old, my mom, she always says mom, which I think is so cute. Yeah, it's very British. Yes. When I was two years old, my mom told me that when I was looking through the photo album with her, I made her go back a page. I pointed to a man, a man that I had never met before, a man I had never seen a picture of before. I apparently told her that I speak to him at night. I gave his name as George. The man was my dad's father, my granddad. He died three years before I was born. When I was much older, she told me that I would lay in my crib at night talking to myself until my dad or mom came into the room. It eventually passed after a few weeks. My next paranormal experience was when I was nine, and this was in the same house. I suddenly became aware of something in the house. I was scared to go upstairs on my own. I would usually put this down to being a young child and listening to ghost stories or seeing something on TV, but something didn't feel right. Every now and then I felt the uneasy feeling I felt. The feeling like you were being watched. Floorboards creaking, bangs at night, and heavy breathing were happening regularly. After our dog fell down the stairs, which I don't believe she just fell, things got worse. My door would be open when I knew I shut it. Things would be out of place in my bedroom and dark shadows would move around our dining room. I would seek sanctuary in the downstairs bathroom, which also happened to be part of the new extension. Here I felt nothing. 
but after telling my parents about what I heard, saw, or felt, they didn't believe me or brushed it off as just nothing. When I reached 11 years old, things changed. I managed to talk my parents into swapping bedrooms. They had the attic room, and I had the biggest room on the second floor. After a few nights, I regretted my decision. Our second dog, Remy, wouldn't even go into the room. Even if we carried her up the stairs, she would cower near the little gate we fitted so she didn't fall down the stairs. At night, I would feel eyes on me, staring at me. I would feel something stroking my arm or foot. Gross. That creeps me out. The covers would be pulled off of me or I would feel them move even when I was laying completely still. The room would be ice cold before something like this happened. Never cold enough to see your own breath, but too cold for a house that had the heating on constantly. Remy had not long since passed when I turned 12. Mm, Poor Remy. The idea of something pulling the covers off of me at night is so terrifying. Yep. Feeling that something tugging. Yeah. Remy had not long since passed away when I turned 12. Myself and my best friend at the time were upstairs in my bedroom while my parents went to the local pub around the corner. I know this sounds like bad parenting to leave children in the house at a young age, but at the time we had a lovely relationship with our neighbors. I think of it as like kind of a traditional 50s relationship. Everybody looked out for each other on our street and they would regularly come over and check on us, which is cool. I Mm -hmm. mean, that's really sweet. Anyway, we were playing my PlayStation and heard a noise downstairs. Obviously, since we were on our own, we stood at the top of the stairs and listened. We heard a very distinctive noise. It was Remy's snore. She used to snore very loudly and grunt. We heard this snore three times and then silence. I never heard that noise again. So her dog had passed away by then. Okay. I was completely overwhelmed and sobbed until my parents came home, but that was actually a completely wonderful experience. And I know I've talked about seeing pets that have Mm -hmm. died. Yeah, me too. Yep. That same year, I was laying in bed one night and heard something moving, but I couldn't move. I was laid on my back and could only move my eyes. I couldn't talk or scream. And I know what you're going to (laughs) say. I tried to shout for my parents, but no sound was coming out. I felt hands latch onto my arms and began to shake me violently. I felt the fingertips pressing into my skin so hard that it hurt. I know this sounds like sleep paralysis, but the next morning after I had passed out, I awoke with fingertip bruises on around my biceps and had to show my parents and tell them what happened. After that night, I never slept in that bedroom again. To have physical evidence. Yeah, that's why I don't, I don't write that off paralysis. as sleep yeah, paralysis. Neither do I. It wasn't long after I found out from my parents that the previous owner had died in the house. Hmm. The old man had a heart attack and died in the attic room. Apparently, my parents knew the man and his family, and the man wasn't particularly nice. Oh, great. My parents also opened up about the experiences they had in the home. My dad used to work the night shift and came home around 3 a.m. He had a shower and got ready for bed and climbed into bed next to my mom and noticed finger imprints on one of my mom's breasts. He said it looked like someone currently had their hand on her. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, that's really weird. Creepy old dirty, dirty old dead man. Yeah. He said it looked like someone currently had their hand on her. He flicked on the light and it was gone. My mom would hear her name being called, usually when she was hoovering up, which I think means vacuuming. Vacuuming. Yeah. (laughs) My mom would hear her name being called, usually when she was hoovering up, and see shadows darting around the room. I can't remember the previous owner's name and often thought about doing some research into this house to see if anyone else had passed away in the property, but I'd rather leave that house in the past. Hmm. When I was 14 years old, we moved. I was so relieved. I pushed my parents into moving and felt lucky I was escaping that house. We moved literally up the road into a bungalow. We made changes to our new home immediately. We had a huge conservatory added to the back of the bungalow and removed an apple tree from the garden. I wonder, just going back to her parents, I wonder if they initially brushed off her experiences because they just didn't want to scare her. Possibly. Because it's interesting that they later admitted that they were having experiences. Yeah, that they having stuff too. What's a conservatory? I don't know. I was wondering. I think a library. Okay. 
I love their phrases and I know, their terms. Yeah. I love pub. Proper I love the English. word. I love the word pub. Mm-hmm. When I was in London, I loved going to the pubs. So they have a real the, feel to them. They do. The word pub is like really sweet to me. Unfortunately, I still had the same uneasy feeling. I tried not to pay attention to it and put it down to my mind not being used to anything but that feeling. But some nights I would wake up and see a dark black mass in the corner of my room. It had no features, no face, nothing, just solid black. I would cover my face with the covers for a few minutes and look back and it was gone. By the age of 15, my parents had separated, leaving me and my dad in the bungalow until the sale of the house completed. I had awoken one night to see the same black mass in my room and a strange noise that almost sounded like static crackling. I then heard my dad's voice from the conservatory. He was just getting up for work at 4 a.m. I went to see if he was okay, and he said he heard a little girl say, quote, come and play with me, and a strange static noise. Nope. <laughs> Krista's shaking her nope. head. The static noise freaks me out. More I don't than know a little that, girl? Yeah. I don't know if that's tied in with my weird phone. Could be. Phobia. I don't know, but the static noise completely freaks me out. I told him what I had been experiencing with the same static noise. We believed it was one of the entities playing with us, but after that we believed we had been followed by something dark. We didn't believe it was a little girl. We didn't feel like something nice or innocent was there, but something was trying to scare us or intimidate us. When I was 16, the bungalow eventually got sold and my dad and I moved to a flat above an old post office. Here we felt nothing. We made a promise to each other that no matter what, we would always tell each other about our experiences. We had both experienced so much and we needed to share it with someone. I think that's so sweet. Yeah. I love the relationship. It Mm -hmm. seems like they had. When I was 18 years old, we moved into yet another ex-miner's house. Even when we were being showed around the house, I could feel something, that same uneasy feeling, but we had to move. This house was different. I was never touched, but everyone who stayed in this house experienced something. I would hear my dad shouting my name up the stairs while I was in the bath and only when I was washing my hair, only to find out that I was alone in the house. Oh, that creeps me out so much. It was his voice, definitely his voice. We would hear people having a party and chatting in the dining room at night while we were in bed. On many occasions, I went downstairs to see if the TV had been left on, but it hadn't. We heard heavy booted footsteps on the wood floors in the living room and the dining room. We saw shadows in the dining room. Things would go missing, turning up in places where you would never have put them, or they would go missing and never be seen again. My built-in cupboard door opened on its own and slammed shut. My boyfriend at the time had the cupboard door swing open and nearly hit him in his face. He had books fly off my bookshelf aimed directly at him and scratches on his back after sleeping in my room. Our cat, who we (laughs) adopted... Is that a combination of abducted abducted and and adopted? adopted. (laughs) Yeah, going to go... Adopt someone. Our cat, who we adopted while in the post office flat, would sit and watch things that weren't there and hiss at something unseen, mainly in the dining room. We would regularly see flashes of light, a flash so bright that it was like someone took a picture with the flash on. This usually happened in the dining room or by the side of my bed. That's creepy. Mm -hmm. All while this was happening, we were seeing strange lights in the sky and bright lights shining through my bedroom window. A New Year's Eve, and this next description of this UFO, I've seen descriptions of this in a lot of UFO like reenactments, and this, is, this always like puzzles me. A New Year's Eve, my dad and I were walking home from the pub when we happened to notice three large bright lights in the sky. We carried on watching them as we walked home. They were in the shape of a triangle. It was silent, so we obviously knew it wasn't an aircraft, plus it was too big to be anything we were aware of. Then all of a sudden, two of the three lights began to move, creating a straight line. They moved gracefully and in unison. At this point, we stopped walking, and it seemed like whatever was in the sky wasn't moving either or now was going too slow to even notice any movement. 
A few moments later, another light appeared in the line of lights, this one flickering on, almost like an old light bulb filament flickering on. After that, they all disappeared. They didn't zoom off or move away. They just dimmed and then were gone. We literally stood there with our mouths open, not believing what we just saw or even understanding what we saw. After that night, we'd seen countless lights in the sky. Obviously, we can't say for sure they are UFOs, but every time they have been strange. That's a, such a common sighting that's weird is the triangle that, crap. I, the triangle, but and the that's a very that specific one is the, light, is the lights separating mm-hmm. and then another light flickering on. I've seen that in a couple reports that mm-hmm. I've read. And that, that's always so weird to me that there's that. Well, it suggests they, they, that it's separate crafts, it's not separate one separate crafts. Craft. Or people have said that it's almost like the craft is changing yeah. itself, like a transformer. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. One night, not long after the lights in the sky incident, I was awoken by a bright light shining through my bedroom blinds and curtains. When I first woke, I thought it was morning. The light was almost yellow-orange, just like a bright summer day. But it was January and sun doesn't... doesn't uh. <laughs> but it was January. Sun like that doesn't happen in England in January. I looked at my phone. It was 2 a.m. The light seemed to have a slight pulsating rhythm to it, but only very slight. My cat went to investigate on the windowsill behind my blinds, but I couldn't. I was too afraid to move. I laid there and completely covered my head with my duvet. I can't remember anything after that, just waking up in the morning. My dad saw the light too, but he didn't get out of bed to look either. I wish I was brave enough to have gone to look. Now we are at present time. We've had little things happen since the other experiences, but nothing drastic. Shadows, voices, feelings of being watched, that sort of thing. But now I'm married and living in our house with my little girl and Harry, our dog. I find I'm more aware of things that are happening to me. I think I'm this way because I'm very protective of my daughter. I do not want her to experience anything like I did. So whenever I hear something unexplainable in a room at night, I'm there in an instant. Our home is a new build, built on a former farmer's field, so I believe whatever is here with us latched itself to me and has nothing to do with the house. It's nowhere near as bad as it was when I was younger, but if there is something here, it's starting to affect my daughter and now my dog. Things I've witnessed in this house are mild. I've tried to explain or debunk something when it happens. I will look for some sort of explanation as to why I've seen or heard something. I find it easier to sleep knowing that I figured out what a noise or shadow is. Sometimes it's not a ghost. The baby monitor is my worst enemy, and I totally get that. Oh, I hate yeah. baby monitors. When Freya was a baby, I had seen white mist moving around her crib while she was asleep, and I've seen lights dancing around her face, and I hear movement in her room like someone is shuffling, and every time I've seen this, I go to check in on her. Sometimes I even take her into my bed if I feel like something is in her room. The shuffling? No. That's creepy. I don't like shuffling noises. Hearing noises over a baby monitor, yes. though, is yes. super... Oh, I don't like that. It's she, like the phone thing, yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. She recently just started to be afraid and not go upstairs or past the stairs on her own. She says that there is blood in her room. Oh, my God. I try not to ask her about why she's scared too much. I try to make her feel at ease and make it into a game just to show her that there is nothing to be afraid of, but she's still terrified. She now sleeps with a nightlight because she was screaming in the night, petrified of the blood in her room. Oh, my God. My dog over the past four weeks has been scared of something downstairs. Whenever I am upstairs, he will cower on the bottom step of the stairs. He's a big dog, but still manages to squeeze himself onto the bottom step. He's never done this before. He will only move from the step after I've climbed over him and checked for anything he could be scared of. This makes no sense to me. My husband trained our dog to be protective of me, to bark at anyone who comes near our home, and to attack if I'm threatened because I had a man chase and follow me at her previous house. That's scary. So my husband trained Harry to protect me at all costs. So to see him cower is strange. He sleeps with me at night, and my husband works 300 miles away and sometimes doesn't come home for two weeks at a time, which is hard. Yeah. Just in general, that would be hard. But But sometimes I will find him sleeping outside Freya's bedroom door. I know he's protective of her too, but he will only do this if he feels like she's in danger. 
I could count on one hand how many personal experiences I've had in this house, but I know from experience that it could intensify. Here I've heard a couple bangs, a woman sigh in my bedroom, things fall over, and some things go missing. I do have some possible answers as to why I've experienced this all my life. My aunt who passed away when I was younger was apparently a psychic or a sensitive. She used to dabble with Ouija boards a lot and had many truly horrifying experiences, and my parents and grandparents were part of one Ouija experience. I believe that something attached my family on that night with the Ouija board and stayed with us. My aunt and mom were very close, and she was very attached to me. She told my mom that I was a bright light in the darkness and that I would have the same gifts as her. I don't really believe in psychic stuff, but I do believe in sensitives. I have researched a little into the apparent light people can give off, and people say that the light can attract ghost entities or something much darker. I have tried to keep my research to a minimum after learning that research into the paranormal, especially the darkness, can open yourself up to them, and I definitely don't want that again. I know this is long. I've tried to keep it as short as possible. I've even taken some experiences out. My life has been full of strange happenings, and so has my family's. I will talk to my dad and be in touch in the future with experiences my dad had. Keep up the good work. Your podcast is the best thing in my podcast library, and I wish you a lot of success in the future. Wow. Thank you so much, Natalie. Yeah, for, I mean, just for sharing. Yeah, thank your you for sharing all that. A lot of that, some of that stuff reminds me of stuff that happened in my house when I was a kid. And I saw that green guy. It sounds to me like something's followed her. Yeah, it sounds to me like something's followed her her whole life. I mean, I know that that area of the world is much older. You know, buildings have can be hundreds and hundreds of years old. So there's much more of a history there. So it could be that the area has just like a presence, you know, but what are the odds that every house they move into? Yeah. Yep. It seems like it is specifically her. So that's a fascinating story. So well, thank you that, so much. I hope that, you know, her daughter doesn't get too scared. I, no, or, no. I, mean, I really want things to calm down for you. Yeah. I really do because that's a lot to deal with. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I'll be in touch you. with you if you're, anything else happens. You know, just let us know. But, we'll have to get on a plane and come investigate. <laughs> yeah. And Krista and I are going to come over there. I would love to get Road back. To, I would love to get back to the UK. So yeah, amazing story. I'm kind of creeped out. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. A lot of those things yeah. are all things I yeah. <laughs> don't like. You shook your head a lot Little when I said kids, that. Little kids, like, yeah. A lot of times I looked at you, you were like, nope. 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 So nope. thank you so much, Natalie. And I also want to bring up something that was sent to us by Jen, who sent us the books. Yes. That are thank awesome. You, thank you so much. We love you. Uh, and she sent this about the Tianac, because we talked about the Tianac last episode that people... Uh, like this a, a the legend. Yeah, okay. this was like the missing 411 legend. This was in the uh, Philippines. Okay. This was the TNAC, was one of the monsters we brought up, the legendary monsters we brought up that are said to abduct people. Okay. Yes. So Jen writes and she says about the TNAC. In the old days, people really believed in this monster. They used to say they're unbaptized babies. Yeah, she. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, actually, yeah. originally she said that they were aborted babies, but then she said also she sees more that it's unbaptized babies. Okay, their actions are a lot like those of gremlins. They jump around and cling to people and bite. When I was young, there were a lot of movies centered entirely on the Tianac. Nowadays, people just dismiss these things as myth and folklore. The older generations pronounce it as Tianac, while nowadays we just say Chenac. Hmm. We also have woodland nymphs, elves, goblins, fairies, and tree people in our folklore. In my grandmother's time, they truly believed in these things. Back then, my grandparents would tell everyone not to wander away from their sight, especially on picnics, and not to go to shaded, woody areas or where the trees were too dense because the woodland creatures would take us and we'd never be seen again. 
Elves were thought to be mischievous and cunning. Whenever someone was thought to have stepped on an elf by accident because we humans don't see them, the next day they would develop hives-like or al- hives-like skin conditions or allergy-like skin conditions until the skin condition worsens into something that looks like leprosy, which no doctor in the village or the city could cure. Yuck. Then the people used to conclude that it was because of the elves or the woodland creatures. We then make an offering to them, and then the skin condition would mysteriously stop. Well, nowadays, I think doctors have a name for these things, autoimmune disorders or food allergies or something similar. When I was young, there were a lot of village rumors or urban legends about so-and-so, the son of or the daughter of, that went missing in the woods because the woodland creatures lured them, quote, into their kingdom. Hmm. So that's creepy. Yeah. And I looked up Tianak on... uh, I Googled it and it said, in the Philippines, it's believed that the souls of unbaptized babies go into a state of limbo after death and return as evil spirits. These hypnotic, mythological creatures are known as Tianak. These monsters have sharp teeth and the power to shapeshift. According to lore, the Tianak lure their prey deep into the woods by making the sounds of a crying baby. Some victims say they actually find a baby, but when they pick it up, it transforms into a monster that tries to eat them. So I have a question. There are a lot of people walking around who are unbaptized. Oh, yeah. So yeah. does this legend mean that as an adult, when you die, you revert to a baby form? I don't know. She said, Jen said that the population there is like so cat, like Christian Catholic that yeah. she thinks that this was like the unbaptized thing was like them scare saying, well, this, yeah, scare yeah. tax. Like this is why you need to be baptized. Interesting. But I don't know. So that is the TNX. So thank you so yeah. much, Jen, for sending that in. I love that we have such a variety of listeners. I do too. And people from different cultures who can give us personal yep. insight yep. into the folklore and things yeah. that we talk about. It's so cool. I do too. So thanks, Jen, for sending yeah, that in. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Natalie, for the story. Yes. And I think because we're running a little late on time, we are going to skip a viewer viewer skip a listener question hey somebody could be watching us right now we don't know if you're watching through the window send us a question i guess um so if you guys want to send us any questions for us to answer on the air the link is in the facebook strangers group yes and before we get to the deets we got a pickle joke yep we do we always have a pickle joke oh this one doesn't really work no it's a connect the dots it's a pickle spoiler alert it's a pickle (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh what do you call a sale on dill pickles? What? A devaluation of the diller. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's dumb and funny all at yeah. once. Wow. But um, bum Yeah. All right. Thanks for that. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> so uh, you can email us at thestrangesessions at gmail.com. I pronounced that really weird. I had like a weird accent on that. Did you? Yeah, I think I did. I didn't notice. I think I did. Thestrangesessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the last S. We are on Instagram where Krista does a great job, the Strange Sessions on Instagram. You can send us postcards and snail mail to the Strange Sessions, P.O. Box 434, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, 54221-0434, which is what Carly in Australia used. We got our, we were excited to get a package yeah, from Australia. so cool. So we're super excited. This might be our furthest away package. I think it might be. And that'll be a taste test next episode. I'm yes. guessing you guys can figure out what it is. I'm excited to try it. And you can call our hotline, the Strange Sessions hotline. Our phone number is 920-443-9602. And just a reminder, you're not going to hear like a, no, you're gonna you've hear, reached the Strange Sessions. Yeah, you're going to hear this Google Voice user is not available. Okay. Please leave a message. So leave a message. Just say hi. 
Tell us your favorite pickle joke, whatever. It's got to be better than the ones like on the book. Tell us we suck like rancid arse. Yeah, if, tell us if we suck like rancid arse. <laughs> we don't know, you know. Yeah, someone needs to tell us. You're goofy and giggly and I'm a frat boy. So <laughs> I think that's Nailed it. it. <laughs> I think that's it for this episode. And once again, happy birthday Thank to you. Thank you. Thank I hope you. you have a good rest of your birthday. Started off with a bang. Started off with a new episode. Yep. Can only go downhill from here, right? <laughs> and I hope not. <laughs> I hope not too. So from Krista and I in the old school media studio, until next time, stay, stay strange. strange. This has been an Old School Media production, executive produced by Kirk Konechny. For more information and content, please visit strangesessions.com.